Mighty Ape is Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. With everything from movies, music, games, toys, books, hobbies and more, Mighty Ape is your one-stop shop for the things that matter most. They constantly have hot deals and exclusive promos. And if you visit their website on the click-through banner on fakechef.net's homepage, then your purchase will help support Good Movie Monday. Mighty Ape, Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning! Morning! Good morning! Good morning? You mean to wish me a good morning? What do you mean that it is a good morning whether I want it or not? Please go away! Let me speak for the love of God! I love the smell of eucalyptus spray in the morning. Oh, nothing like a freshly disinfected microphone to get the day started right. Keith, how's it going? 1.5 metres over there. Um, so I can still smell the victory, man. <laughs> right. So we've established that we're taking the necessary precautions here and now on with the show. Happy Monday, everyone. Thanks for listening. My name is Glenn Cochran. Sitting opposite me is Keith Schultz. This is Good Movie Monday, which is presented by FakeShemp.net. Stick around for the next hour because there's plenty of nerdy cinematic ramblings ahead. We have part two of my interview with Hollywood director Michael Mann, as well as the home entertainment news in Jarrett's weekly PE class. And Guillermo will be providing a catch-up on all that's happened in the last week at Screen Realm. So let's begin with some wicked news here. Monster Fest have bought back their Friday Fright Night. So this is really exciting. The origins of this date back quite a few years ago when Monster were doing their Friday Fright Night at the Nova Cinema. It was essentially, um, they picked cult films, you know, Chainsaw Massacre, that kind of stuff. Mm, Screen them late every Friday night. But because everyone's holed up at home, they had this genius idea to sort of do it online. So it is called Monster Times Fangoria Presents Friday Fright Night Online. Last week, they kicked it off with a live screening of The Windmill Massacre, and they had the director present a little bit of a, you know introduction before mm. the film. Obviously, it's free. All you've got to do is um, go to their Facebook page. That's Monster Fest Facebook page. Friday night, 9 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time, and be part of this sort of community that they're trying to build. It's a really cool thing they're doing. I have no idea what's coming up this Friday night, but um, I'm sure they've got something up their sleeve it's a mystery. that's very exciting. But uh, anyway, just wanted to give them a plug before we really get stuck into our episode. Um, April 17, Friday night. Get onto it. Anyway, Keith, I'm going to give you the mic for a minute, mate. What have you got this morning? Oh, I've got some tasty, tasty nuggets of news, mate. Kicking it off, Artemis Fowl. Disney film directed by Kenneth Branagh. $125 million budget. That's US. Bumped straight to streaming, Boom. the latest victim of the streaming craze. Well, is it? I mean, well, yeah, well, obviously <laughs> yeah, it is. But yeah. the thing with this one is it's had so much trouble with its release dates. It's been bumped and bumped and bumped. Yeah. I mean, this is like some kind of Nova FM kind of bump here. Like, <laughs> That's it's just, right. <laughs> what the hell's going Bond on? <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is not shocking news. It's not. So it's not surprising. It is, I suppose it's noteworthy in the context of all films that are being bumped to streaming pretty hefty production budget, but it, it's unsurprising. I mean, it's hard to predict how much money this film is going to make at the box office anyway. I'm assuming popular book series, it was going to make a bit, you know, big name director. Yep. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays. It hasn't been confirmed release date yet yep. or price. Well, interesting because I know Guillermo later on is going to touch upon this mm. and something he brings up is that... Uh, the whole Disney Plus streaming service has far exceeded their expectations as far as numbers of memberships and subscriptions. That's true. Like they're well 50 over. Million? Yeah, Australia, when yeah. when I think that you know, I'll let Guillermo do the talking. But yeah. 
they're three quarters of the way to their 2025 oh, like man, they're predictions. Just, they're just overachieving. They guys. are, and I mean that could be a good thing or a bad <laughs> thing. I don't know. That's right. Uh, what else you got? I, oh, mate, I've got something that you, I know you're excited about. A sequel. You, we know you love sequels. Well, that's, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm all ears. <laughs> Call me by your name. Ugh. Sequel to 2017 modern classic. Glenn's words, not well, mine. Pardon this Keithism, but spare me. <laughs> Come off it, mate. Starring Timothy Chalamet, young Timmy. Uh, Army Hammer is back in town. I have heard a rumor that Dakota Johnson is on board, which I don't mind a bit of Dakota. So what I'll be about, happy about uh, that. Ivory? Ah, uh, James. Yeah. yeah, I believe. I don't know actually. I would say he's probably back in town. He's so, not a sequel man. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> but it is based. Apparently, I didn't know this, but apparently the, there is a novel. Yep. To the books. Uh, to Find the book, me. I know original. this for a fact because I, I did read this news earlier in the week. It's called Find Me. Yeah. Which but the, the exciting news is that this is not a hundred percent. Like you know, there's no release date. There's no actual writer confirmed to my knowledge. That's right. So no, there's a potential that it won't happen, and, and that's exciting. Yeah, which is, is music to your ears. It's an unusual <laughs> sequel, uh, to be honest. It a is. film like that, I think it. I don't think it made a lot of cash. It's about forty-five million US. So obviously, you got acclaim. Hmm. Timothy almost nabbed that Oscar. Oh look, let me clarify. I like the film. <laughs> I don't dislike the film whatsoever. It's a good film. I just can't stand that guy. You don't like him. No. And, and any chance I get to sort of shove the knife you, in Yeah, you like to stick the knife in the hand, Timmy. <laughs> <laughs> I do like him. I think he exceptional performance. It must be said. Army Hammer as well. Uh, good film. That's what shits me is that he is a good actor. He's a great actor. Yeah, he's got the chops, doesn't he? He's got the arrogance. That <laughs> he does. Oh. He's got a very chiseled, chiseled features, young Timmy. <laughs> very angular. But uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'll, I'll check this out. I think um, Luca Guadagnino is that how he pronounced his name. He's hit and miss for me. I like to call me by name. Wasn't a fan of Suspiria, but. Yeah, we'll see what happens. That was an interesting one. That's yeah, yeah. It's strange. I did like it, but it's very heavily flawed. Oh, indeed. Yeah. 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 You got Tom York whaling. <laughs> the, the Tom York score doesn't fit the film. No, it's not a at good all. score. Like, it's great. You, know, you, you hear it isolated from the film, it's fantastic. Yeah. Doesn't match the film. Doesn't match the film. And the whole, the whole um, side story with, you know, the old man, which everyone knows is Tilda, Tilda. Swinton, like when they tried to deny it for how long. Oh, yeah. It was bizarre. Uh, Come off it. It's absolute bullshit. Can I ask, yep. what are your thoughts quickly on Tilda? Well, I can't <laughs> stand her, man. What the <laughs> yeah, hell are you doing to me, man? Oh, what is it about it? I don't know. There are a few that I don't like. Like, I like a lot of people, but yeah. Timothy Chalamet, don't like. Yeah. Tilda Swinton, don't like. Yeah. Uh, Sigourney Weaver, don't like. <laughs> but you know what? I love films they're in. Mia Farrow, like. <laughs> Sorry, I can't see that. It's a good thing the cameras aren't rolling right now. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> what what else plot. have you got We're for us? The plot. Do you know what? Indiana Jones 5, more news. Now it has been delayed to 2022. So disappointing. <laughs> I'm going to ask the question because it has to be said that Harrison Ford will be turning 80 in 2022. Yep. Is it worth it? Should we scrap it? Or should we just, should it be a reboot? Well, this is interesting. Like this, mm. like let's have a serious conversation yeah. about this because we like to jest about it. But Spielberg's dropped out, yes. So man. he's not directing. I actually think that's probably a good thing. I do too. Would have been good to have him bring it home, but that's okay if he doesn't have confidence with it anymore. Yeah, that's not a problem. So bring whoever, James Mangold, whatever. Mangold's a good choice. I yep, think. I agree. I think if they they play the age factor, like they factor the age into the story, mm. 
it will work. Yeah. At 80, there's only so much you can do. <laughs> um, so I don't have a problem so long as they don't try to have him doing shit that 80-year-olds don't do. I agree. Like, for the last crusade, Connery was 59. Yeah. When, yeah. And he was the old man. Well, I think Harrison Ford by that time will be older than the old guy that played old Indy in the TV yeah, series. that's right. You know, um, who had an eye patch. So... <laughs> He'll have to have an eye patch in this yeah, film yeah. to be, you know, to be, yeah, the continuity. Continuity, yeah. Uh, as for reboots, uh, I would love this series to be rebooted. However, I want them to finish this, like finish yeah. the Harrison Ford saga, because right from the get go, it was always going to be five installments. That's a good point. Uh, for those that don't know, it was supposed to be three installments based in the thirties, and then two installments in the fifties. Yeah. So the first three were supposed to be more your. Gundajin kind of um, serial adventure. Yeah. And the second two were George Lucas's plan was to sort of have a, a Mars Attacks alien invasion kind of yeah. story. Mm. Um, so if they kind of round it off as intended, cool. Yeah. But then let's go back to the start. Let's bring Indy back as a young guy. Yeah. And do something really exciting. No, I think that's a good point And I agree. I actually forgot about that, that five film plan. So I think it would be good in an ideal world if they can really nail it and make, you know, utilize his age, mm. uh, that would be great. I, I, you're definitely going to have to, maybe it could be used as a film to raise up his replacement or you could just go back to back to the start, you know, I, yeah. I guess, and just start again, which would be interesting to see a reboot done There's in the There's been 30s. lots of novelizations. I mean, you've got the Young Indiana Jones series, which... Lasted three seasons when the intention for that was about six. Mm. So there's a lot of stories there. You can mind um, I know George Lucas had completely conceptualized his his journey, mm. you know, from boy to old man. So yeah. there's lots they can do. Uh, look, I'm excited for this film regardless. You know, I'm willing to wait for it. This will be my no time to die. Yeah, that's it. Right? Well, I mean, they'll probably sell it to Disney anyway, so we'll get 20 of them. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, that, it already is Disney. Yeah, oh, so. is it? I didn't even I didn't know that at all. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, one more um, piece of, of news that dropped that is a little bit unfortunate, um, but not at all unexpected, is that the Melbourne International Film Festival was cancelled, along with everything else. You know, it's just I think the state of the world at the moment. Yeah. Uh, you can't expect it to continue. No. Um, but you know, it's a surprise in the sense that it's a big blow for a lot of people. You know, media types, filmmakers, members, distributors. They're going to feel the impact of it. So yeah, sad news there, but they've promised to come back bigger and better next year. That's right. Let's hope they do. Absolutely. Just a, just a short break for me. And aside from um, what we mentioned before with Monsters Friday Fright Nights, there isn't a whole lot of great news at the moment floating around. So let's check in with one of the guys responsible for that. And uh, we'll be back to discuss something along the lines of Thunderdome and Pussy Galore after Jarrett's physical rubdown. Hey, this is Jarrett and welcome to PE Class. Now this week it's a little slim in terms of pickings, that's right. There's not a lot of new content hitting home entertainment. There's only two movies hitting home entertainment in fact, and both of those come courtesy of Defiant Screwing Entertainment. The first one up is Run the Race, which is a DVD and digital only release. Now this is a high school coming of age football movie that sits more in the league of Friday Night Lights than it does Varsity Blues. The second release from Defiant Screen Entertainment again is only DVD and digital and I discussed it last week because it got postponed a week and that's Protect and Serve. So if you want to know a little bit more about that I recommend having a listen to last week's segment on Good Movie Monday. And the only other things hitting home entertainment this week are box sets of Naruto and Hayley Dean Mysteries and even a Jillian Michaels exercise box set. 
which could be pretty good for self-isolation to keep yourself, you know, uh, fit as you make multiple trips to the fridge. I know I have been. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's pretty slim. So I'm just going to give you some news, uh, home entertainment news as such. And the first up is that Universal Pictures Home Entertainment in the United States announced Jaws for a 4K Ultra HD release last week. Now this title is coming out in the United States on June 2nd. Uh, really, really exciting news. There's no further news as to specs as to whether the film will carry a Dolby Atmos or DTSX. Hopefully it does. I feel like they're going to go all the way out for it. It's the 45th anniversary of the film, so I feel there will be no stops with this release. Now, there's no real word on a local release just yet, but I did some digging and I found out that it's tentatively scheduled for June 3rd in Australia. That's right, because Universal Sony Pictures Home Entertainment Australia have just launched a site called kicks.com.au. It's a rebranding of their viewing lounge uh, social media, so they switched all that over, but now they're doing direct sales to the public through this website. And on this website, under pre-orders, uh, we have Jaws coming out on June 3rd on 4K UHD, so there you go. Also, Top Gun is apparently coming out on June 3rd. Hopefully that one won't be postponed because Maverick's been postponed, but um, I feel it'll stick with that date, uh, hopefully. But uh, So that's some major news. Other news is just in relation to some cancellations, unfortunately. Unfortunately, Roadshow have pulled the gentleman from 4K UHD for April 22nd. They'll only be releasing it on DVD and Blu-ray. The 4K UHD is available from the United States, however. Also, on May 6, Universal Pictures have pulled The Lighthouse from Blu-ray. It will only be coming out on DVD locally, which is a shame given how long we waited for the theatrical release, let alone the home entertainment release. The US Blu-ray, despite being region A locked, it is definitely, uh, definitely worth picking up. It looks fantastic, and on top of looking fantastic, it's got more special features than the local DVD does. Now, lastly, Disney have decided to pull both the Blu-ray and 4K UHD of Underwater with Christian Stewart which is a real sleeper um, sci-fi action horror creature feature movie that came out in late January. It was due for release this week in the United States on DVD and Blu-ray, but apparently the Blu-ray's dropped off for pre-order as well. I hope it's just a manufacturing delay due to the current uh, situation the world's undergoing rather than um, a complete cancellation, but it's definitely not happening on 4K anywhere globally at this point in time, so that's really heartbreaking. Anyway, that's me for this week, so I hope you enjoyed PE class and Tune in again next week as I'll be bringing you everything that's coming out next week. What a tune, Glenn. Mm -hmm. Some melodies from the James Bond canon. Mm -hmm. But we're bringing up James Bond for a sad reason today. On a Blackman, Pussy Galore herself has passed. Pussy no more. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed, she's had her day, I'm afraid. She's playing a golden harp. Well, I thought it was no time to die, but <laughs> oh, no, we can't do that. But anyway, it's sad news, absolutely. Um, I don't mean to take the piss out of it, but you know. 94, yeah, great innings. Absolutely. Start in one of the very best James Bond films, it has to be said. Maybe the most influential. I'm not an expert on the Bond girls. Or the Bond ladies. No, the women. <laughs> Whichever way you want to cut it. But is it safe to say she's the most famous Bond girl? I would say I'd say it's I'd say her and um, probably Ursula Andress. Of course, I'm but, but they would be easily. She's probably the most famous. Definitely the most famous name. Yeah, I would say she's iconic. Mm. And yeah, the, the film's obviously iconic. I'd say it's probably one of the most influential 
action films ever made, actually. It's kind of before they had to rely on Hollywood starlets to sort of be the Bond girls. Although she was quite popular at the time because of the Avengers. She was the original Avenger. But the Americans didn't know the Avengers at that point in time. So that's interesting. Whereas, you know, nowadays you you throw your Halle Berry's in there or your (laughs) whatever. (laughs) Sorry to bring up some traumatic (laughs) memories. Your Denise Richards. (laughs) Yes. Oh, was it Merry Christmas? Is that her name? Christmas Jones. Christmas Jones. uh, Which they only... I surely only named that character for the line at the end, which is where he says, what does he say? I thought Christmas only came, comes once a year, which is disgraceful. But um, I mean, let's just, Alyssa, I'm going to end this side note by saying the fact that they cast Denise Richards as a nuclear physicist is beyond ludicrous. Anyway, back to Pussy Galore. Um, oldest Bond girl to, uh, until Monica Bellucci, I believe, 38 or 39 at mm. the time. Amazing. Oh, Monica Bellucci. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so, yeah. Well, you know, sad news, but let's just stick with a little Bond rhetoric for a few more minutes because it's becoming a regular motive, isn't it? It like, is. You know, it's recurring. We talk about Bond all the time, mainly because of you. Glenn loves it. <laughs> <laughs> Out of curiosity, how do you rank the six Bonds? As in, oh, the, as in actors? the actors? Oh, that's a great question. I would say, see... <laughs> I've spent many a, many an hour thinking about this. <laughs> I have no doubt about that. <laughs> I would say, uh, let's go from bottom to top, shall we? All I right. would say number six has to be George Lazenby. Not because I think he's necessarily bad, but just because he has to be. He's only made the one film. The fact that that man was not an actor, but was an, a used car salesman from <laughs> Queensland <laughs> and became James Bond, you cannot criticise that man nope. at all. What an effort. A- and considering his film is great, um, but he, consider that fact that where he came from to the fact that he didn't come back because of his ego. Yeah, he didn't even get sacked. Yeah. He got offered a seven film contract. He said no. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather go back selling Datsuns. Yeah, what that's right. Can you imagine if he had said yes? And, and people feel sorry for George. He's actually, I believe, I'm prepared to be corrected, but I believe he's the wealthiest actor to have ever played James Bond. He's made a fortune out of real estate. Yeah, and, you know, if it wasn't for him leaving James Bond, we wouldn't have the man from Hong Kong. Indeed, that's right. right. So there's that. That's right. And there's a great doco about him called Becoming Bond. You should watch it. But he'd be number six. Yep. Number five would have to be Pierce Brosnan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, I think he, he's probably he's probably the archetype Bond, but not in a good way. Like, I think he just borrowed from all... I was about to say, he's an amalgamation, isn't That's he? right. That's what I was looking for. He doesn't have his own identity as Bond. He's just aping, I feel, all of them in different you, I would have to say, just personally speaking, I think GoldenEye mm. is probably like one of my favourite portrayals of Bond. I would say GoldenEye is one of the best yeah. Bond films, yes. without a doubt. And he's great in that. Yeah. But uh, it's not his fault either. They jump the shark with his character. Yeah, and his films are, uh, are pretty poor yeah. post GoldenEye, let's be honest. <laughs> well, I do love Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah. yeah I don't know why. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Okay. No, I don't mind The World Is Not Enough. It's got yeah. some interesting stuff. Sophie from so is great. But yeah, he'd have to be my number five. Number four would be uh, Timmy, Timothy Dalton, maybe the best actor to have played. I was, I, I was waiting for you to bring him up because I don't put as much thought into this as you do, right? So <laughs> I don't put that much thought. Let's just clarify. I bit. reckon Timothy Dalton's my favourite. Yeah, I think that's a popular it, view now. It could be nostalgic because of the first Bond film I saw at the cinemas was Living Daylights. Wow. And I saw um, Licence to Kill at the cinema. They so, were great. And he was a very serious Bond. He, he wasn't was. the womanizer like the others. You know, It was all just about the action. He got it done. Yeah, he's not as convincing with the ladies, young Timothy. Yeah. But um, he was he's a fantastic actor, Shakespearean actor. And he probably brought a bit of legitimacy to the role, didn't he? His two films are solid. Both of them are solid as a rock. Yeah. I think they're sort of fan favorites now. 
particularly licensed to kill. So Benicio del Toro plays a henchman. He does. Yeah. He does. Yeah, a little baby face Benicio. Robert Darby is brilliant in that. Oh, film. I love Robert Darby. Yeah, what a underrated actor. Yes, absolutely. But uh, yeah, so I think he's great. Number three, uh, I would say this is a tough one. Yep. I would probably say number three would be Daniel Craig. Yep. As it stands. I'll probably have him at number two, hopefully by the time the new film comes out. But partly, I think he's just a bit of a drama queen, Daniel. I'm sorry, mate. Yeah, he is. But So that brings it down a little bit for me. He, I think his creative input into the story is not always good, which he you know, he does yeah. have quite a bit of creative input. But his portrayal is sensational. Yep. He's done an amazing job. He's a fantastic actor. He's probably got he, – I think technically he's probably got the two best Bond films in terms of quality, probably Casino Royale Skyfall. They're probably – Probably it's maybe it's the only that have a genuine amount of subtext. Skyfall is my favourite Skyfall is a sensational film. Amazingly well shot. Yep. So he's amazing. And it's a toss-up. Number two would be Roger Moore. I, I love Roger. Yep. Um, he's just... Ah, oh, you just love Roger. He's just like your granddad or that uncle that has too many... He almost suffered the same fate as Pierce Brosnan, though. Because his films so. got very stupid in the end. They did. Yeah. They, they did. They are ridiculous. Yeah. But he... He just keeps his dignity throughout the whole thing, I think. Yeah. He's just got that eyebrow. He's, oh, he's like, great. He's like your uncle that gets drunk at a party yeah. and cracks on all the young ladies. Do you remember when he played himself in Cannonball Run? I do, yeah. Oh, my God. As James Bond. Yeah, that's like. right. That's <laughs> so funny. And have you ever seen The Man Who Haunted Himself? No. Have you ever seen that? That's a great film. Mm. Um, he plays like um, he plays dual roles. It's a thriller. Really weird. Made in 1970. Check it out. All right. But he's great. I think he's actually underrated for the dramatic side of things too. Check out Fewer Eyes Only for some... My hard ass Roger. Brings number, us to num- number one. Number yeah. one is obviously Peter Sellers. <laughs> <laughs> David Niven. From, yeah, oh, David Niven. <laughs> yeah. No, nah, obviously it's Sean Connery. He never say never again aside. We're not going to discuss that. I'm sorry, but um, he's the best James Bond. He created maybe the the greatest film hero of all time, in my opinion. Um, so I mean, by you only live twice. He's phoning it in. I don't know if you've seen that <coughs> lately, yep. but um, he's if you watch it now, you can tell he's just he's done. Yep. But he's still great. But his first four Bond films are incredible, yep. and his portrayal is amazing. I think he's the only he walks that line between being like probably quite a misogynist mm-hmm. and uh, a hero. Yep. At the same, I don't know how um, someone can embody both. Tr- you know, traits in How such a way. How do you feel about him in Never Say Never Again? <laughs> the the, the non-Eon um, Cannon film. Never Say Never Again. Well, it, obviously it's just a cheap Thunderball remake. Um, he's not really playing his James Bond yeah. in that film. Like, his Bond is... I don't see his James Bond in that film. I just see him yep. taking the piss. Uh, yeah, I, it's, right. not, it's not the same. Even his... If you watch Darwin's Are Forever, mm. his portrayal of the character has changed. Mm. to It's more, or more of a Roger Moore-style film. What about you? Do you like Never Say Never Again? Not particularly. No. Not particularly. I remember, I haven't watched it in a long time. Yeah. I remember it being a little more grainy and gritty than the others, but yeah. I think in retrospect, what you're saying just absolutely yeah. pinpoints it. Like by the time Rowan Atkinson rolls up, you're oh, like... Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, oh my God. Right. Yeah, let's um, but, um, scrap that. Yeah. But yeah, he's amazing. And I'd say From Rush With Love would be his best uh, performance as Bond and probably his best film. That would be my top five yeah, Bond films. Fan- and Robert Shaw. Mm. Oh, just ending to see Robert Shaw, he's amazing in that. We interrupt this program to bring you a motivational message from Wes of Scarefest Television. Stephen Hawking said, look up at the stars and not down at your feet. But he didn't have to tie his shoes, did he? So, whatever.
I wonder if you recognise that music. It is, of course, the Bartertown theme from Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. And sadly, George Ogilvie, the co-director of that film, passed away last week at the age of 89. But how's this for eerie? I watched Beyond Thunderdome the night before he passed away. Wow. And my Facebook page can back that up. Uh, Look, Mad Max is a franchise that I think is possibly the most important legacy that Australian cinema has to offer. And I think his contribution to that is important, very significant. Where do I start with this one? Mad Max. Like, are you a fan of Mad Max, Keith? I have to admit, I'm not a big fan. I do have a respect, but they've never oh, they've never resonated with me quite like they have yeah. with you, but I appreciate them. The thing with Thunderdome is that it's possibly the most underrated chapter in the saga. It gets a lot of criticism, mostly because it's very Hollywood. Tina Turner is in it as that draw card sort of figure. Jeez. Um, it's a lot larger than, you know, what had come before, but I think that's what makes it so good is that every film is a very well-measured evolution of that universe, you know, from those humble beginnings, you know, just tearing down the road, you know, very cheaply all the way to Fury Road. Each installment has been an equal measure of evolution, which I absolutely love and adore. And I'm excited to know where it goes from there. But George Ogilvie, the reason he co-directed this one with George Miller is because, Byron Kennedy, who is the longtime producer with George Miller, passed away as he was scouting four locations for part three. Mm. So there was a helicopter accident and sadly he um he he died in that. So George Ogilvie came along and said, Look, you know, if you need help finishing this film, I'm the guy for it. So George Miller only directed the action sequences and Ogilvie came in and directed wow. all the drama. Wow. So I didn't know that. you know, and there's a lot of drama in this film, you yeah. know. The the characters are just really well fleshed out, as far as I'm concerned anyway. Yeah. And yeah, and as I said, this evolution that happens, I think it number three is much closer to what Fury Road is mm. than what Road Warrior is to Thunderdome, if that makes any it sense. It does make sense. Uh, Fury Road, what an impressive achievement that is. You know is. what? I consider it the greatest action film of all time. I know you do, don't you? And I don't even say that with any kind of jest. I actually think it's the greatest action film of all time. I know. He's dead set here, folks. Not a stupid suggestion, Glenn. I, I don't, I wouldn't give it that, but mm-hmm. I can see why you would. It is an incredibly impressive achievement. Yeah. Certainly built on what came before, whilst obviously giving an incredibly new, supercharged. Yeah. yeah. Update. But the thing about George Ogilvie, he was much more than just the co-director of Mad Max. Like this is a, a, a guy that's got a very prevalent presence in Australian cinema, a mm. uh, little bit of a pioneer. Uh, he directed a fantastic remake of The Shirley. Mm. Do you, that was with Brian Brown and Rebecca Smart back in like the 80s, 87, yeah, 88. Okay. And I remember as a kid, that was hugely influential to me. I used to have that on VHS. And I'd watch <laughs> it all the time. And I think back to that and I wonder why, because it's a very long, slow, monotonous kind of film. Yeah. And as a kid, I was drawn to it. Maybe it was the Rebecca Smart factor. She was a bit of a... Yeah, she was huge at the time. Yeah, she was. Um, but he big. also, what else did he do? He he was behind the dismissal, you know, mm. the TV drama, yeah. uh, Bodyline. You know, these are... These are TV films or miniseries about important historical moments in Australian history. Um, Feature films he did, one called Short Changed, uh, A Place at the Coast, and he directed The Crossing, which was Russell Crowe's first lead film in a debut film. The Crossing. Yeah. I reckon I've seen that. I actually, I do think I've seen that. I know I've seen it, but I don't remember it very well. So I want to go back to it for sure. Yeah. Um, So anyway, a big tip of the hat to George Ogilvie, an unsung pioneer in Australian cinema. And to follow up this little, I guess, tribute, let's have a listen to a song that catapulted Thunderdome into the stratosphere and reached number one on the charts in 1985. 
it's a very atmospheric song as far as I'm concerned. You know, it's one of those songs that you can scoff at, you know, like it's a, it's a power ballad, but once it gets its hooks into you, it's, it it's no sensational.
How good is that? That soundtrack came like just off the Private Dancer era. Like it's you know <laughs> simply the best. <laughs> well, that was later. Come on, dude. Come on. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, um, you know, Jarrett mentioned earlier heartbreaking news about Underwater having its 4K and Blu-ray releases mm. completely dashed. I'm going to use that as a really flimsy segue, <laughs> all right? Because I wanted to talk about those type of movies. So. If you haven't seen Underwater, it's very much like Alien. It's that, you yeah. know, it's Alien at the bottom of the ocean. So I want to know from you, Keith, before we move on, what do you, do you dig that genre, Alien genres? Uh, I wouldn't say I dig it. <laughs> what, what kind of movie within that genre, let's say, ignoring the thing of that creature feature genre, mm. what stands out to you? Well... I mean, I suppose Alien for one. <laughs> Let's be honest. Masterpiece. Alien is a classic film. See, you're going to be much more well-versed in this than I am. Let me think. What about The Blob? Absolutely. The, the remake of The Blob? Oh, the I'm going 50s. Steve McQueen. Yeah. What do you reckon of that? It's great. Yeah, yeah. I reckon. But I do think that's one of the great remakes is yeah. the one from the 80s with Chuck Russell. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Very good body horror film. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's your line of country. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, what about Event Horizon? Have you seen that? Sam Neill? I haven't seen that. Lawrence Fishburne? No, I haven't seen that. It's a great film. Yeah. Pitch Black. Pitch Black. I've seen Pitch Black. Yeah, they're not very, bad. Very, very cool film. Yeah. Outland, Sean Connery. <laughs> yeah, Outland is great. I love Outland. It's yeah. a really odd film. I, I guess it's not so much uh, an alien type of film other than the, the texture and the aesthetics of this yeah. space sort of was environment. Was that 83? 83? Around about. That was he directed was, by Peter Hams. Yeah. Wow. A really strange period of Sean's career. Speaking of Peter Hams, 2010. Oh. <laughs> you know what? That feels a lot like Alien. So it's, it maybe doesn't quite scale the heights of Alien. You see, we have a conversation about this. You're a big fan of 2010, aren't you? I love it. You do. I don't compare it to Kubrick's no, film. I don't think you can. But I think as a sequel, story-wise, narratively speaking, I think it's a very good sequel. I think it's good. I think it's good. I don't think it's terrible. I, I mean, think Arthur C. Clarke himself thinks it's the better film as far as narrative goes. Does he really? Yeah. He's in the film. He's, he's got a cameo. Is he? I don't remember that at all. There's a scene at the beginning in front of the White House and he's sitting on the park bench. Can I say that that statement by Arthur C. Clarke is indicative of an obvious falling out that he had with Stanley Kubrick? <laughs> they must have had a falling out. Possibly. <laughs> I mean, that that's a good point. But look, I, it's a great cast. Helen Mirren's in that. John Lithgow's in that. Like it's My boy. Bob Balaban. Roy, oh, Roy, <laughs> Roy, Rob Schneider, <laughs> yeah, not my boy, Roy. Not, I said Rob Schneider, yeah. but I meant to say Roy. Schneider. Roy, yeah. What a what an underrated actor. He's great. Yeah, he's really great. Speaking of creature features, mate, mm. the 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 grandfather of them all, Jaws, surely. Jaws, well, getting a four K release, indeed. Oh my Can't goodness. wait. Very psyched about that. The, an argument. Can be made that Jaws is one of the top ten greatest films of all time. Now I know I'm being cliche here. It's not even an argument. It's a fact. <laughs> That's true. It's a fact. I know there are people that would prefer me to be more eclectic in my creature feature taste, but it has to be said, Jaws top ten. Huh? Mate, I think most people would agree with you. What an absolute classic film. Yes. It doesn't get much better. It's, it doesn't. It's Spielberg's best film. It, or yeah, you know what? I reckon you could be right. I, I used to say Schindler's List, but. Now I would say probably Jaws or you Raiders. Can't, you just can't say Schindler's List because <laughs> yeah. by the time he made Schindler's List, he was he was a pro. Like he knew what he was doing, right? No, that's Jaws. Fair. He didn't. That's a good point. You know? A very very troubled production. Yeah, and what he pulled off. 
as a novice. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good point. And mm. amazing performances. I know freaking blames Schneider uh, for the failure of Sorcerer. He said that's he was a fallacy I right mean, there. watch Jaws and that doesn't hold up at all. That's Mate. ludicrous. Yeah, it is absolutely yeah. ludicrous. I watched it recently. I've seen it probably five times. It's great film. It's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. incredible. And film. I would say because of him. Absolutely. I mean, what an, have you, has anyone seen? I mean, if you've seen all that jazz, you know what an incredible actor the man was. The French Connection, mm. um, Clute, yep. Marathon Man, the list goes on. It does. But yeah, sorry, Jaws. Oh, I, what an incredible film. What about you? You did give me some of your favourite creature features. Well, I, re- I reeled off a few. I think um, well, when we're saying creature features, spacey creature spacey. features. Spacey. So, all right, so um, not Jaws. Um, <laughs> look, I'm a, I'm a sucker for Corman. He did one called The Terror Within. Corman, yes. Yeah, he did two of those. Um, dare I say Critters 4. <laughs> Critters in Space. <laughs> Brad Dourif, Angela Bassett. That's a pretty good cast. That is a good cast. Um, but yeah, I think Pitch Black and Event Horizon. Sunshine by Danny Boyle is pretty good. Sunshine, yes. I have seen Sunshine. Mm. Uh, I mean, you know, we had sequel discussion and didn't mention Aliens. That's a good point. Uh, what a sequel. One I don't think Aliens is better than Alien. Though. I don't think it is either. Mm. And it's not because I don't like James Cameron. But it's bold. It's a bold step. It's incredibly entertaining. Yeah. I would say James Cameron's best film. Would you? I so would. not, not Pir- Piranha 2? No, you would say that. You know, <laughs> James Cameron uh, believes that Piranha 2 is the greatest flying fish movie of all time. Yeah, of course he does. <laughs> Well done, James. Also, Roger Corman. Yeah, Corman. See, Corman, what a what a influential figure. Yep. Oh, of Godfather to fame. Oh well, from one master to another. Let's take a listen to the second part of our interview with Michael Mann. This part of the discussion, as opposed to last week's, is much more focused on the insider and the keep, which um Good. juicy stuff. Yeah. Um, there are a few other things in there as well. So once again, just to reiterate, the interview was recorded a few months ago. Nevertheless, this is the first and only place you're going to ever hear it. It's exclusive to us, and uh, we'll be back in a few minutes to talk some more. Daniel Day-Lewis has a reputation for being intensely committed to his craft, and there's a sort of legend that goes with his image that is is difficult to work with. Did you find that to be the case? And if so, was it a hindrance or a blessing? Oh, no, it's fantastic. I mean, Daniel's, Daniel's ambition is, is, a, is, as far as I'm concerned, certainly for me as a director, I say for a director, for me as a director, Daniel's ambition is, is spectacular. Uh, I love it. I mean, every actor should be as intense and serious and legitimate as he is. He is totally authentic, totally legitimate. It's a blessing. Do you ever revisit your films for prosperity or nostalgia? I didn't. Prosperity. Again, I'm sorry. I'm having you getting a bit garbled there. That's okay. I think we've got a. I think we've got a shitty connection. But what I'm getting at is because this director's cut gave you the opportunity to revisit the film. Do you ever revisit any of your other films for nostalgic reasons or perhaps to look? at certain things that you might not want to do again? Uh, yeah, that's a very good question. I do it. It's still my film. Um, I never change. Uh, I, I re-edited it last week a number of times. It's by far and away the best version of it on the Blu-ray. Uh, it's better than the theatrical version. It's better than some earlier cuts. I did a similar number. I did a similar large amount of uh, revisions to Ali, which is in the current Blu-ray on Ali is also the best. Uh, on films such as Insider or uh, Heat, uh, I've never, they have never, I've never, they never edited, they've never re-edited and revised them at all. On, uh, on on Heat, there's a new version of it, but what's different is the coloration because it's bouncing it up to 4K 
Um, you have to retirement, it. And that became a very, very interesting exercise in changing many things about the visuals, but there's no picture concert dialogue at its rest. So I'd like to touch on a few personal points before I let you go, and I hope that you will indulge me. The Insider is a particularly important film to me, and I remember working in the video rental industry at the time that it got released, and I recall it being the very first VHS release with a mandatory letterbox format, which was, you know, there was no other way to see it, which was kind of confronting to a lot of viewers at the time who didn't understand what the ratio was. And with that, I think you actually changed the game. How do you feel about being a leader on that? Um, I don't know. You know, if you have the, you know, I just, I, I couldn't stand, I couldn't tolerate the notion that these, that these compositions, everything, all the formal elements, an insider. First of all, I'm going to say we're critical because it's two hours and forty-five minutes of people talking. So if that's going to be suspenseful, you know, then then you are heavily reliant on being as interpretive as possible, using composition, color, music, sound sound design, all of that has to be. And, you know, but it was not just out of necessity. I would do that even if it wasn't necessary because just the way, you know, theoretically I like to make films. But uh, you know, it's particularly important to that film. But I, I wouldn't have, you know, so the notion of it being anything less than what I composed, you know, was kind of anathema. And I could impose it, so, you know, I did. Um, it's not uncommon, you know. I mean, it's when you're in the middle of your career or, it, uh, you know, it's a higher point in one's career, you know, directors, whatever the new technology is, the newest way to generate a more intense experience for audience, directors typically, directors who really care about what they're doing, I'm thinking about, you know, Chris Nolan and John Favreau, you know, go to a great degree to, to ensure the quality of their work, any, like any artist should or might. You know. One was, uh, you know, Miami, well, Miami Vice, you know, there wasn't stereo and broadcast, so why not? Well, can there be? Sure, okay. So when we were the first stereo uh, you know, television show back in 1984, So, you know, you're always on, these, on the forefront of these things. Did you face much resistance to the letterboxing? Yeah, if, if I did, I don't. If I did, I don't recall. I mean, I, you pretty much said this is what's going to be, and you know, kind of that's what it was. All right, second to last question before we wrap up, uh, I ask most people I interview what their favourite Australian film is. What would be yours? Proposition. God, yes. How good is that? That was a great film. Oh, huh? Who's fantastic? You know, it was just spectacular. Yeah, I got well, yeah, the other thing I look for I look forward to seeing uh, the Ned Kelly film. In fact, I'm going to see it on the 13th. So anyway, just to wrap things up, uh, if you would just indulge me for one more moment, there is a basic DVD release coming up of The Keep, and I was just wondering if fans can expect a definitive Blu-ray release, perhaps, or a director's cut anytime soon. Uh... I doubt it. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, no, it, it, it doesn't. It, 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 it's a film that tragically it never got to be what you know what I wanted it to be for a number of reasons. And most, most one of those tragic things was that the spectacular guy who's my visual effects supervisor died uh, very early on in post-production. And we could never figure out how the components he did were supposed to come together and how he, why and how he shot the elements he did 
and so it was a film kind of marred by it had some some good ideas script that could have been better but it was it was, it was marred by uh, a black man is on his name now he was the lead visual effects designer of uh, 2001 all the way back to quarter the shape of things to come um but uh he's a wonderful guy and uh he passed away right during the Oh wow! Well, that's all fair enough. Um, but anyway, I won't keep you any longer. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me. It's been great. Okay, thank you. Okay, see ya. I feel like Michael Mann doesn't enjoy talking on the phone. <laughs> let's just uh, let's just say that's one of the weirder interview wrap-ups I've had. Indeed, you say that was a telemarketer goodbye. <laughs> well, I don't care. I mean, that was a discussion with the director of Heat yeah, and the insider. And the insider. That was like a pinch myself kind yeah. of thing. Um, I'm stoked to have just been able to share that That's with great. everyone. Um, and once again, thanks to Stack Magazine for allowing me to do so. The interview was originally recorded for a printed article, but as I said last week, there was just too much good stuff that mm. didn't make it onto the page. So that was, you know, that was a thrill. Oh, it was great. I mean, yeah. What's happening, everybody? Guillermo here from ScreenRealm.com, Australia's favorite entertainment website covering all things film and television. Hope everyone's doing okay out there during these crazy times. Happy to be back on Good Movie Monday. Let's kick off with some new release dates that Sony Pictures Australia has announced. Venom 2 is still coming out this year. It looks like it hasn't been affected by COVID-19 delays, which is going to be great news for fans. The Tom Hardy sequel is going to be arriving in Australian cinemas on October 1st, hopefully, because who knows what's going to be happening. Everything seems to be changing day to day. Not so good news for Morbius, another one of Sony's Marvel films. That one's starring Jared Leto. That film was supposed to be coming out on July 30th this year. It's now been delayed all the way to March 18, 2021. Sony Pictures Australia has announced a number of changes to their lineup. Steve Coogan's starring comedy Greed was taken off its April 23rd theatrical release to digital on July 7 and Blu-ray DVD on July 15. Peter Rabbit 2 was delayed from March 19th down to December 26th. Ghostbusters Afterlife was moved from July 2nd this year to March 25th in 2021 and the Tom Hanks war film Greyhound has been removed from its May 7th release with no new date yet scheduled. Monster Hunter, the video game adaptation starring Mila Jovovich, has managed to keep its Australian release date of September 3. Another big film that got moved during the week was Disney's Artemis Fowl, an adaptation of the YA book by Aeon Colfer. Now that film's had many issues on the way to fruition, it was stuck in development hell for quite a while until it was finally announced for release on August 9th. 2019. The Kenneth Branagh directed film was then pushed back to May 29th, 2020, and now it's been taken off a theatrical release completely. Instead, it's going to be hitting Disney's streaming service, Disney Plus, with a release date expected to be announced soon. I think Disney's still going to be doing pretty well, considering Disney Plus is at 50 million paying customers. That's absolutely massive considering the Disney company had a target of 60 million to 90 million by 2024. It's 2021, they're at 50 million already. On to more Disney slash Marvel news. Ant-Man 3 has its screenwriter and Rick and Morty fans should be happy with this. Jeff Loveness, who's a writer and co-producer on Rick and Morty, has signed up to write the script for the third Ant-Man film, which will have director Peyton Reed back at the helm after directing the first two films and both Paul Rudd and Evangeline Lilly expected to be returning as Scott Lang and Hope Van Dyne. A bit of casting news now. A Star Is Born Oscar winner Lady Gaga has entered negotiations to star in Ridley Scott's Gucci movie. 
The Gladiator Blade Runner director is going to be making a movie on fashion trailblazer Maurizio Gucci and Gaga has entered talks to play Gucci's ex-wife who was convicted of having him gunned down. Ridley Scott is still in the middle of production on middle ages drama The Last Duel with Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. Coronavirus concerns had to put that shoot on hold but he's expected to be wrapping that up soon and Gucci will be the film he tackles directly after. A big trailer arrived for an upcoming Netflix film called Extraction starring Chris Hemsworth. The film has Hemsworth playing a badass mercenary that's hired to rescue the kidnapped son of an imprisoned crime lord and yes things go boom after that I love my action films and I can't wait for this one looks like big stunts nifty camera work a lot of it brings to mind some of the craziness from the raid films and it's also cool to have Hemsworth sticking with his Aussie accent as well this marks the feature directorial debut for Sam Hargrave who's worked as a fight stunt coordinator on a number of big films including the Russo brothers Infinity War and Endgame and by the way both Joe and Anthony Russo are producers on this alongside Hemsworth as well check out the trailer if you haven't we had two reviews go up this week both of them written by Glenn so thanks very much mate the first was Coffee and Kareem a Netflix action comedy that even as the title suggests Coffee and Kareem is of the lowbrow brand the film has a 12 year old boy riding shotgun alongside a mild-mannered police officer police officers played by Ed Helms it's a vulgar bloody little comedy that Glenn says doesn't offer anything new at all but is quite funny although he does point out that the third act is a hot mess the movie is indeed worth a look coffee and kareem was handed three stars out of five the other review that glenn delivered was for a little independent uk film called eve about a talented actress who fails to land the role of her dreams and who becomes obsessed with the up-and-comer who actually gets the part now this is a small film in every sense of the word it only goes for 75 minutes it's quite a low budget but for an indie exercise in the tried and true formula of the psychological thriller Glenn says that director Rory Kindersley is one to look out for. He also gave that film 3 stars out of 5. That about does it for me guys. If you're interested, I have a podcast of my own. It's a video podcast that I've started with my wife, Cassandra. It's called Loud Observers. Right now we've got the first episode up on YouTube. We recorded it around 4 o'clock in the morning. We were quite delirious. So please be kind. Follow Screen Realm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that jazz. Be sure to follow Good Movie Monday on everything. Thanks so much. I'm out. So as he mentioned, uh, Guillermo has a brand new podcast called The Loud Observers. Um, I definitely recommend checking it out. It's a video podcast on YouTube. It's not official Screen Realm stuff. It's just an ailment for self-isolation pretty much. Um, he hosts it with his wife. He told you all about it. Get on it. It's pretty good. And before we jump on to the next discussion, I uh, just want to mention that this coming Saturday, I'm going to be talking about the brilliant 1984 creature feature, Razorback on Scarefest TV. That show airs live at 11 a.m. this Saturday in Australia, which is 9 p.m. Friday night, Eastern Daylight Time in the States. So look up the Scarefest on Facebook. You can't miss it. And um, Razorback, mate, talking about Jaws, like Jaws on Trotters, dude. Yeah, I know. What a, yeah, what a film. <laughs> Live from America's premier horror and paranormal convention, every Friday night, Scarefest Television brings you guests from the horror and paranormal fields, plus featured movie reviews, entertainment features, and short films. Watch us live every week at ScarefestRadio.com or via Facebook and Twitter by following The Scarefest. Scarefest Radio, the radio you can see. All right, Keith, well, I do want to hear all about your recommendations. But first, let's give away a couple more movies. We have more copies of The Fanatic and Big Legend from Eagle Entertainment, The Fanatic, mate. I tell you what, I can't, 
can't get this one out of my mind. I can't get over his haircut. I know. What, what's going on there? <laughs> You've got to see to find out. But uh, for a chance to win them, you know what to do. Interact with us on Facebook. Uh, we do really appreciate you guys um, you know, keeping up with us and sharing our content and episodes with your friends and liking our posts and dropping comments does mean a lot to us. So by doing all of those things on our Good Movie Monday Facebook, Instagram, YouTube pages, you automatically go in the draw to win one of these movies. So please do. But Keith, what's uh, what's in your treasure chest this week with recommendations? Well, Glenn, I thought I'd go back to my, my specialty and this is becoming a pattern of films from 1973. <laughs> oh, no. I'm going to recommend the Hal Ashby classic, The Last Detail. Wow, Jack Nicholson. Starring Jack Nicholson, Otis Young, Randy Quaid. Oh, in my favourite. I know, in what should have been a star-making turn. Um, Randy Quaid of Caddyshack 2 fame. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, National Lampoon. But he, he, if you watch this film, he, I think he, I mean, could be wrong, he may have got an Oscar nomination for it, mm. but I, he could have been an, an amazing dramatic actor. Like, he was. Yeah, or he was, as in his career could have yep. been... Really like as a, as dramatic actor. Well, it just so happens he's a genius comic actor. Indeed, so, so it, he, you know. it worked out. He uh, <laughs> Caddyshack too. Anyway, the last detail. What a great film. Yep. Written by the screenplay genius Robert Town of Chinatown fame. Did he write the two jokes as well? Yeah, I think he did. Fire out, Robert. He had what? a third one written too, but never <laughs> because of the two jokes that oh, never happened. No. Talking about sequels, <laughs> everyone kicks a girl every time they have a shot. But the last detail, amazing film. Uh, Jack Nicholson and Otis Young, two sailors, they get tasked with escorting Randy Quaid across country to jail because he has lifted 40 bucks from a polio charity bin. So what the hypocrisy is rife. It is hilariously funny, incredibly touching. One of the best road trip films you will ever see. And I believe Richard Linklater made a sequel, Last Flag Flying. Have you seen that? Uh, is it the Steve Carell one? Yeah, I is haven't that a seen sequel? It's a sequel. Yeah, it's a sequel because it's a sequel to the novel and thus, I suppose you'd say, well, yes. I, I mean, I haven't watched it, but I know about it. I've seen the poster, yeah. and I've, I, but I've never bothered to read up on what it is. Yes, I've never watched it either. And I should because it looks tonally quite different to the last There detail. we go. Well, there's a double but, feature I am yeah. hanging to do now. Yeah, we should have mentioned in our sequel discussion. <laughs> I know. Oh, my goodness. But yeah, if you haven't seen this film, see it. Uh, it, it is a classic. It's not. It probably doesn't have a quite classic status, but it's an amazing film. Yeah, it's got an iconic image on its oh, poster. Absolutely. That big cigar, <laughs> big Jackie boy. He's a badass. Well, you went 70s and so did I. I went to 1975. And well, I guess this one's kind of cut from the same cloth as Mad Max, or at least it's from the same material purchased at the same shop. It's, you know, <laughs> it um, came before Mad Max, though, and it's called Sidecar Races. Oh, yeah. And it stars a very young Wendy Hughes, mm. may have been one of her first movies, John Mellion, Ben Murphy, who was an American at the time, he was their draw card, and Peter Graves. Peter Graves. Of Mission Impossible fame. Oh, wow, young Peter. Yeah, yeah, well, he wasn't even that no. young. <laughs> <I know. laughs> um, look, you know, if you could imagine Mad Max crossed with BMX Bandits, mm. that's kind of what we've got here. It's about okay. an, an American, what is he, he's an American, he's not a windsurfer, he's a surfer, mm. that visits Australia and gets hooked up on the sidecar sidecar racing scene and finds out that he's really good at it because of his surfing skills. Yeah. Uh, and that's basically all, all there is to it. Because he's the yank in town, you know, yeah. there's a little bit of bigotry going on from yeah. from the, the, the industry. From I the guess. boys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the funny thing about this one is that it's a family-friendly film from its time, but if you sort of consider it in today's day and age, 
It's not suitable no, whatsoever. You got like a, one of the main characters that just likes to beat up women to yeah. bring them back in line while he's chugging beers and all that kind of stuff. So this is this is why you're recommending this. <laughs> well, the reason I recommended it because I I do love films that are time capsules of, yeah. their, of their era, and this is this is exactly what yeah, it is. There are some basically. people that cannot watch things retrospectively and contextualize. I like to think I can. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't think that's something to condone, but I watch it and I'm like, wow. Like we've come a long way, we you have. know, and that doesn't mean there's no entertainment value in that film at all. You That's know? right, like the films of D.W. Griffiths. <laughs> That's exactly right. Case in point, um, <laughs> one he made a sequel to his most notorious film. <laughs> we need to just do a sequel podcast. We do, we do. Oh, hang on, didn't we already? Yeah, we already have. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, this one's easy to come by. It's available on Amazon Prime. You can also get the DVD through Umbrella. Good old friends at Umbrella the never boy. never fail. Indeed. Um, but we've pretty much reached the end of our tether on this episode so it's another week and another episode cheers for spending the time with us thanks to our contributors Jarrett and Guillermo from Screen Realm thanks to Eagle for their generous support and Keith thanks mate my pleasure next week we're going to let you guys choose some of our topics for discussion so send us your suggestions on Facebook which in turn automatically puts you in the draw for those yeah. prizes so it's been great and we're going to sign off with another belter from Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome this is my favourite of Tina Turner's two songs. It's called One of the Living. So much atmosphere in this one. I love it. Anyway, we'll catch you next week. Uh, good movie Monday.